welcome to the Destination Begin podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Smith. I've lost over 250 pounds. I've started my life over multiple times and managed to find humor, lessons, and joy in the process. And now I'm here sharing those stories with you. Thanks for joining me. Hi, hi. Welcome to the podcast. I am talking to you from Minnesota. Minnesota. That's where I'm from. Um, It's really cold here, which is basically the only thing anyone talks about in Minnesota is how cold it is. You walk in, they go, oh, it's cold out there. Yeah. And I, and now since, you know, I'm not used to it, I go, yeah, I hate it here. Why do you live here? (laughs) I'm such a brat about it, but I have no tolerance for it. And partly because I don't have clothes for it anymore. Um, And so I'm just... It's so it's so cold, um, but you know once it gets to a certain level of cold, getting colder doesn't really matter. Once you're cold, you're cold. But it had happened to be um, a perfect combination of all the Minnesota weather that you could ever hate um, in one visit. Uh, there was snow, there was freezing rain, and then extreme cold. So I've gotten to experience all of it. But um, you know the people here that I'm here to see, the people that I love, they are worth this heinous suffering to see their beautiful faces. So I'm in Minnesota. I came um, for a few reasons. My uncle's birthday is in February. My uncle David, he lives down in Iowa. And I used to always make sure I got down to see him on his birthday. And then COVID happened and the shutdown happened and then I moved away. So it's been, I believe there was two years in a row where I did not get down there. So this year I thought, you know, I have some things I need to do in Minnesota. I'll time it all where I can go and see Uncle David for his birthday. So Uncle David's birthday and then um, the group mindset program that I'm running right now, quite a few people in the group are in Minnesota. So decided it would be fun to come up here and get together with them and have an in-person kind of meet and greet so they can meet each other and I could meet some of them in person for the first time. So um, that and then of course seeing friends and my family. So huh. It's been a really lovely visit and I was supposed to come home um, today and then I changed my flight to yesterday and so I thought, oh, I can record my podcast on Sunday in my house. Well, then I changed my flight back to leave tonight. So here I am sitting in Randy's house recording a podcast. So um, it's been a great week. Before I came to uh, Minnesota, I just want to talk about it. I got asked some questions about the Imagine Dragons concert. I didn't know so many of you were Imagine Dragons fans, but I am, I don't know, I wouldn't say I'm their number one fan. Their number one fan probably has their poster all over their house and wears their t-shirt and follows them um, and comments on things and reposts. Like, I feel like the super fans, like, you know, I'm not one of those, but I love their music so much. It just, it's the style I like and the lyrics, like their lyrics to their music, um, there's there's just so much substance there. Um, Dan Reynolds writes or co-writes most of their music and Dan Reynolds has been through fire in his life. And I always say people who've been through fire are typically my favorite people and typically have something to say that um, resonates widely and loudly with um, humans because there's nothing new under the sun. And when you suffer you learn and you learn universal truths that um, matter in the lives of other people. I really believe that. And Dan Reynolds has been through um, a lot. He was raised in a religious uh, background. I believe he was raised Mormon. I'm terrible with facts, you guys. I'm so terrible with like details. But he was a rebel 
And so he has a lot of songs writing about, you know, like disappointing his family and going out on his own. Um, he's battled depression and some substance abuse. Um, he got married and they separated and got back together. And so there's the beautiful songs about love and what matters in relationship and pain and suffering. And he's lost, um, family members to cancer and friends to accidents. And so there are songs about love and loss and just, and they're beautiful. So I love, if you haven't listened to their music, uh, I encourage you to read some of the lyric, um, the the current song is called Wrecked and it's about like he lost his sister and talking about being a wreck without her and I when I hear that song I think about my grandma sometimes I feel like I'm a wreck when I think about the fact I won't see her again um and so beautiful music so I wanted to go to the concert um my ex-boyfriend last year had gotten us tickets and I was super excited and then it wasn't until a couple months after we broke up that I realized hey I was going to go to that show. I wonder when it is. And I was going to go with him. And so I looked it up and um, I thought about reaching out to him to get, find out, hey, can I buy those tickets from you? And I'm like, no, let's not go down that road. So I bought myself one ticket, the best ticket I could get on the floor, right by the stage. And I thought, I'm going to go by myself. This is, uh, I want to do this. I'm going. So I did. I went by myself. It was best. I don't know that I'm ever going to go to a concert with somebody anymore because it was so fun to go by myself um, and rock out. I I am not a dancer. I talk about that here uh, quite a bit. I don't like to dance at a bar and go out dancing. It's not my thing. But my favorite band right there where I can see Dan Reynolds facial expressions, I'm going to I'm going to jam out in like the most awkward. I don't care if people are watching me way. And that's exactly what I did. It was super amazing. The show was amazing. I was sitting next to a guy with his daughter. Not amazing. He was so annoying. He was telling me how much he hated Imagine Dragons and he hated Miami. And I was like, well, you are in 100 percent the wrong place, sir. Um, I told him to shut up. <laughs> He bought me a Diet Pepsi. He's like, hey, I'm going to get a beer. Do you want anything? And I said, yeah, if you give me a Diet Pepsi, I'll I'll hit you back. He's like, no, my treat. I'm like, okay. So he comes back with the Diet Pepsi. Super nice. And then he goes, this is personal, but are you drinking that Diet Pepsi for AA reasons? I was like, um, well, let's just examine this for a second. If it was for AA reasons, do you know what AA stands for? It stands for Alcoholics Anonymous. So that's a very inappropriate question. Number two, no, some people just want to drink Diet Pepsi and not beer on a Sunday night. I don't understand why you're asking this question. Is it this crazy to you that a woman would choose a diet soda over a beer? I don't know why we're having this conversation. Oh my gosh, it was annoying. Um, anyway, I did not let him ruin my experience. And he could have because I was really in my head about it at first. And then I was like, screw this guy. He's like totally annoying. Anyway, great concert. And then I had a crazy busy week because I was leaving um, to come to Minnesota and I had to cram everything, you know, six or seven days worth of things into two and a half. But I did it because I'm a rock star. Um, so super fun. I, I, I've talked about Oscar on the podcast before and I don't see Oscar a whole lot. He's very busy. He's slaying. He's building a business. He's got this beautiful girlfriend and they're, you know, they're living their best lives and, um, but I love Oscar. Oscar is like the brother the universe sent me when I first moved here. I needed his soul. Um, he spoke such life into me. He he was just, I don't know, just such a beautiful connection in my life. And then life just got busy and our relationship just, you know, became less about spending time together and more about just harboring a lot of love and affection for each other in our hearts without looking at each other or seeing each other. <laughs> and so, and he lives right 
right next door, basically. But Tuesday night, I was leaving, and I was in my little convertible. I was all dressed up, heading out for a date. And he was walking down the street, and I saw him coming. And there's something about when I see Oscar, my heart just explodes. It's just, it's like there are certain people that the connection and the love is just pure. And I love Oscar with the purest, most beautiful love. And it just, his face lit up. So I got to see him, which resulted in the next day on Wednesday, he came over, I made him coffee, and we got to catch up. Do you know, is there anything better than catching up with someone that you love that you haven't seen in a while? Just to hear about his life, his successes, his struggles. You know what the, the best thing about the whole conversation was, though? I mean, Oscar is always on a quest for personal development. Um, he's open. He's, he's working. He's paying attention. He meditates. He reads. He's always investing in his soul. And he, he spoke about himself, and he listed some of his greatest um, his, his worst traits, some of the things he's struggled, he's struggled with. And he said them so honestly and so matter of factly, it took my breath away because we often as human beings, we just won't admit to ourselves the things that are ugly about us, the things that we continually, that continually get in our way and that we allow to get in our way. And the bad things that we think or do, I mean, it's so hard to be honest and then to speak that truth to someone else. And I don't really know that he would have said those things six months ago. It, it was not um, congruent with the Oscar that I knew then. This was a much improved, um, more powerful, beautiful soul in this man. And it was, it was just a, a, this moment of, oh, I could just see, it was like, it was like a little sh- new shoot of life on the plant of Oscar's soul. And I mean, I'm not judging him. I'm not his like mom. I don't, it's not like I look at him and say, okay, have you grown? Um, but to, to hear it and see it, it just filled my heart. So when you're talking with your friends, I encourage you to look for those evidence, those little signals, those little new life nubbins on the soles of your friends and call them out. And I said, Oscar, I'm so proud of you. Like that was incredibly vulnerable that you said that and that you're aware of that about yourself. So I don't know, it was one of the, one of the greatest moments of my February thus far. That moment, I loved Imagine Dragons, right? I was like, this is the greatest night of my life. Uh, maybe not. Greatest night of my year. And then that moment with Oscar trumped it all. People, seeing the soul light up like that. It was just nothing touches it for me. So um, I get asked a lot, what happened to Oscar? Because I used to talk about him all the time and used to, I used to see him almost every day. But Oscar is alive and well, thriving, growing, and remains as amazing and beautiful and powerful as ever. So, um, so I flew out on Wednesday night. My friend Melissa was kind enough to lend me this giant, massive, amazing, warm coat because I said, I'm going to Minnesota. It's super cold there, and I don't even own a coat anymore. So she ran up into her apartment down on South Beach and brought it out to me. So nice. So nice. And I was so excited to not have to be cold in Minnesota, but I forgot it in my car at home. And so it did not make it to the airport with me, nor did it make it to Minnesota with me. So Melissa's coat has been in my trunk since I left Miami Beach. So that's 
<laughs> but whatever. Anyway, so uh, Minnesota, the Minnesota trip, the it's been full of lots of little interesting experiences. But um, I went down to Iowa to see my uncle David for his birthday, and you know I make balloon animals. It's one of my favorite things. I've been working on my repertoire. I've been trying to get new new things to make because my goal is to go to the park and look at a kid and say, hey, what do you what do you want? And they'll say anything and I'll be able to make it. That would be the dream. Right now, if I say, what do you want? And they say, I want an airplane. I'll say, how about a monkey? Because <laughs> I can't make an airplane consistently, but I can make the cutest little monkeys and flowers and swords. And so I was driving down and I'm like, all right, I've made my uncle David balloon arts before. I got to make him something new and it's his birthday. So maybe I can make a party hat. So when I got into the little town of Esterville, I pulled over and pulled out YouTube and found a little tutorial on making a balloon hat. And so I made a couple prototypes in the car, which, you know, I'm quite sure anybody walking by was like, what the actual heck? This Minnesota license plate in Iowa sitting here, there's somebody making balloon animals um, in the car. But, you know, it's, you know, stare. You can stare all you want. This is a mission. So figured out how to make them sort of and then uh, went out to the farm and had a lovely afternoon with my aunt and uncle. I made them. I made us all party hats and then got to catch up with them. So my uncle David is my dad's brother and he's married to my aunt Donna, who's my mom's sister. So there's a double relation there. My mom only had one sister. And when my mom and dad got married or they were dating, you know, my mom would bring my sister along to family things and kind of merge the families. And pretty soon my aunt Donna and my uncle David, I guess they started making eyes at each other or something. I don't know. But anyway, they got married. And so I have one side of the family because both sides merged. And um, so when I go down there, I get to see my mom's, my mom's sister and my daddy's brother. And they are just the greatest. Growing up as kids, we, we, you know, my parents didn't have a whole lot. We lived in Minneapolis. We, we didn't get out a lot. We were raised in cold church. And so going down to Iowa to the farm to see my aunt and uncle was really the only thing that we did that was out of the ordinary. And we, as kids, loved it. Oh my gosh, because Aunt Donna, Aunt Donna was all love, all the time. Always positive, always sunshine, always happy. She spoiled us without like ridiculously spoiling us. You know, she treated us, she treated us like the most important humans in the entire world. Um, Uncle David is very quiet, but he would give us tractor rides and um, tease us. He was always called me Becky because my middle name is Rebecca. So I was Becky and my sister was Wheezy because her middle name's Louise. And um, they're just precious, precious. And it just sucks to see them getting older. Um, it sucks that now it's an airplane ride to Minneapolis and then a drive to Iowa to see them. But I've been trying to make an effort to see them more often because um, time time is precious and life is short and they are amazing. So I got to spend five hours just sitting in their house with them. So lots of memories. My uncle David's really quiet. And if if for any reason he gets something wrong, like he misspeaks or you, I don't know, just anything, like he could say, oh, that, you know, the subway is closed. And I could say, oh, actually, I think they're closing in half an hour. He would say, oh, sorry, I blew up. <laughs> he says it all the time. It's really funny. And he would never blow up. So Uncle David, sorry, I blew up. Happy birthday to Uncle David. So but coming home from this experience was one of the most hilarious and just, I don't know, I'm still like in shock over the whole thing because it was just so crazy funny. 
Um, I have a rental car because, you know, I'm traveling. And, you know, when you have a rental car, you're just not used to you're just not used to it. And so I was driving back. It was dark, um, taking Interstate 90, which is just a long, it's like 75 mile stretch of Interstate 90 that brings you back to Minneapolis. And I'm driving, I'm listening to music, I'm rocking out. And I look down and I notice that it, the gas light is on and it says six miles to empty. I'm like, oh no. And so I quickly got off of I-90 on like the next exit and I go to my maps and I nav to, you know, gas station, find the closest one. Well, the closest one was six miles away and I had six miles to empty. So I'm like, all right, this is going to be interesting. And mind you, it's like minus five degrees at this point. So it's really cold. I am in um, a hoodie (laughs) because I don't own a coat and like whatever. So, you know, I'm an idiot. But I, I started going down the road. I went real slow. I put my cruise on to conserve, you know, gas. And I keep looking at the map. It's like 5.9 miles, 4.9 miles, 3.5 miles. And then looking at my gas gauge to see if it, you know, if, if there was more gas left than miles. So I pull into this little town, Bryceland, Minnesota, and I navigate to the gas station. There's two pumps and it's dark. It is closed. I'm like, oh, no. So I look at the map. I look to see where the next one is. There isn't another one for six miles. And I'm like, oh, there, this can't be because there's a fire station in town. There's cars in town. They have to have access to gas here. So I see around the corner that there's an American Legion with some cars in front and there's a light on. So I just drove over there, opened the door, walked into the American Legion in Bryceland, Minnesota. There were exactly seven people sitting at the bar watching the Olympics. And I walked in and they all turned around and looked at me. And I said, hi, do you have gas in this town? And they said, nope. I said, oh no. And they're like, well, what's going on? I'm like, well, I just, my, my navigation brought me here from the freeway. I had six miles to empty. And right now I have less than one gallon to empty. What, what do you guys do for gas? So the guy in the middle of the bar gets up, starts putting his coat on. He goes, oh, I'll go. I'm the mayor. I'll go get Lars. And everyone's like, yeah, go get Lars. Lars will come. He'll open the gas station for you. Don't worry. Have a seat. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, just sit down. It's fine. So the mayor puts on his coat. Off he goes. They're like, where are you, where are you coming from? <laughs> like, well, I used to live here, but I'm, I'm in town from Miami. I'm like, I have a rental car. And they're like, so what, what happened? You ran out of gas. How did you have a gas light? I'm like, yes, the gas light came on, but I didn't notice it because I'm not used to the car. And the one guy goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I know. Don't feel bad. So, you know, immediately made me feel less like an idiot. So they're like, yeah, sit down. You want a drink? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm good. And they were eating onion rings and chicken wings and, um, just grilled me all, you know, really nicely, you know, what, where were you coming from? And so I told them, you know, going down to Esterville and the one guy knew my grandpa because we weren't too far from the town my dad was raised in, but I just sat there and they're like, this will be, you know, it'll be about 20 minutes because Lars is a little bit out of town. He's got to go wake him up, um, but he'll come, he'll open, he'll open the gas station. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, it'll be a lot faster than triple A. I'm like, you guys are amazing. They're like, yeah. So I sat there for about 20 minutes um, heard about their grandkids. Most of it was like these old guys, they're all grandpas. And then there was one woman there. She's the school teacher and the town's personal trainer, which, you know, very fortuitous. I sat next to her. Um, 
And the bartender, she was probably 65 or 70. Um, she was the cutest little thing. And she came over. She says, now, you know, when you go down there, don't get out of your car. He'll pump it for you. You don't, you don't have a coat. You're not dressed for this. I'm like, I know. Thank you so much. <laughs> so the mayor came back and uh, he said, yeah, Lars is on his way. Just go down there in a couple minutes. And uh, you're lucky because got, he got this gas at a real good price. It'll cost you about $4 in Owatonna. But here it's still three whatever. And I said, I would pay you $100 a gallon for this gas. I do not care what it costs me. <laughs> this is the most valuable gas I have ever bought in my entire life. Oh, they laughed. Oh, that's so funny. What are you doing here from Miami? I'm like, I'm asking myself the same question right now. (laughs) But a couple minutes later, all right, he's ready for you. You know, you be careful out there now. So I hopped in my car, went down there. Lars was waiting for me. He goes, how much do you want? I'm like, could you fill it up? (laughs) Yeah. So I got $39.07 of gas and he got a $100 bill. And it was the best money I've ever spent. And I said, go back and buy everyone around, which, I mean, they were all drinking Coors Light. I think they were $1.50, so they were going to have a, a good old time with that, <laughs> with the $60.93 of change that Lars got. But talk about small town awesomeness. I was on my way. The whole thing took me like 20 minutes. And uh, I didn't have to walk in the cold with, uh, you know, and die on the side of the road. So... I guess the lesson there is keep an eye on the gaslight and don't be an idiot and just hope that there are really nice people like, I don't didn't even get his name, the mayor of Bryceland, Minnesota, and Lars. Amazing. Salt of the earth. So while staying here in Minnesota, I'm staying with Randy. And I'm going to talk about Randy today. I talked about him in the last podcast, but a lot of you know um, Randy and I used to date and I used to live with Randy in here in Minnesota. So I get asked a lot of questions all the time. Uh, I get a lot of like head cocked curiosity, um, you know, not understanding, okay, he's your ex-boyfriend. Are you back together? You talk about him. You're staying at his house, all of this stuff. And I, I want to talk about it because this relationship and this situation is something that... Um, I think it's rare, but I wish it wasn't rare. Um, I've learned a lot through my relationship with Randy and the breakup with Randy and the subsequent friendship that Randy and I have had. And Randy and I have done a lot of work kind of processing the situation. He and I are very aligned in a lot of things in life. And we both have been on a quest um, in our adult lives to to self-actualize, I guess is the best way to, to put it. Um, to really level up and to continue to grow and to continue to learn. And something like a breakup, there's a, there's a standard customary way that it's treated in the, you know, in the normal human experience. And both he and I have rejected that. I've rejected that for a long time in a lot of my relationships and breakups. And, um, it's just, I just, we both agree that it doesn't have to be a certain way. And especially when you have a lot of love and real respect for somebody, um, you can you can make you can make your new relationship, you can make your breakup, you can make you can make it whatever you want as long as obviously you both are seeing things the same way. But when I met Randy, it was, you know, right after I had split with my second husband and I was going through my divorce and he and I met um we met on Tinder and we started talking because we had a very similar background. Um he's really hot, you know, like really hot. But the the draw was really the conversation. We met for coffee and he was raised Mennonite, which is a little similar to the way that I was raised. So we had a lot to talk about from Go. 
And then through the course of our relationship, um, we, we started to, we started to kind of level each other up. Um, I introduced him to 75 hard. He decided to do it. Um, I obviously have really worked hard at cultivating discipline and changing my lifestyle and losing weight. And Randy is a disciplined person. You know, he was a Marine. He's one of the most sought after and respected engineers in the world in his industry. Um, he's, he's a, he's amazing. And so we started dating and we had a relationship of a lot of personal growth and a lot of discipline. We love, we both love doing hard things. And so 75 hard really bonded us, um, you know, workouts and, and reading and personal development. And so my relationship with Randy was really, um, it was really calm. It was really mellow. He was a, a, a really solid, stable person in my life after the craziness of having been married to an alcoholic. Um, and we just, we just did hard challenges together and really had this period of time in our, in my life and in his life of personal growth, development, leveling up. And it was really, really fun. And, and, um, you know, COVID happened while we were dating and that's how I ended up living with him. I was sublet my place and it was kind of a way to make some money. We all came home and started working remotely. So it worked really well. And I had no idea, had no idea. And in hindsight, we look back at this little period of time where I lived in his house and we were on lockdown and all of this stuff. There was so much that both of us were doing just to cope with the situation that have turned into big, beautiful, huge things now in our lives that we wouldn't have without that period of time. For example, you know, during lockdown, we're here. I'm a group fitness junkie. All of the gyms closed. I was frustrated. We started working out here. We started working out in the garage. We were writing workouts. It was cold. He built a pull-up rack in the garage so we could at least get some pull-ups in. And I mean, we were just trying to get our workouts in. Physical fitness is important to both of us. It's our it's for our mental health. It's for our body development. We both love to work out. It's a big bonding thing in our relationship. But I got really, really sick of it really quickly trying to motivate, you know, myself to just work out by myself, writing a workout, you know, keeping it interesting. And so I started doing the boot camp classes here in Minnesota in a parking lot down the street. Um, I put a post on next door on the app and just said, hey, I'm a trainer in the neighborhood. If I bring um, a workout to the park, does anybody want to come? And sure enough, a bunch of people started coming. And all summer in 2020, um, I drove the, the mile and a half at sunrise, before sunrise a lot of days, and ran two workouts in the park in the morning. And we did them at night many days. Um, all summer. And this community of women came out this uh, every day, 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. I brought my little speaker. I started writing hit workouts. It was socially distanced. And I had no idea that that was my training ground for what is now Miami Beach Boot Camp. I did not dream up any of this. It all happened by accident. During that little period of like life hit pause, we had to stop doing all the things and find new ways to do everything. And so it was, it was magical. I'd come home from running those classes, lit up, excited. Randy could see it on my face. We'd have breakfast. I'd talk about the workout and the funny things the girl said. And like, it was so bonding and so fun. Um, and it motivated him to get out in the garage in the afternoon and we'd, you know, the sunshine would come in and he'd be doing pull-ups and I'd be doing, you know, working on writing a workout for the, for the, um, group. And it was just, 
there was just so much of this shared kind of, it was this quiet little isolation period and it was COVID and it was terrible and the lockdown and I had so many thoughts and feelings about it and we could talk about it and we were doing um, 75 hard and live hard and so every single morning, almost every single morning or at least at night, we would go for a three and a half mile walk together and talk and sometimes I wouldn't feel like talking and he would talk the whole time or vice versa and we had a year, almost a year of walking, going for walks and talking. Before we, I lived here, we did that too down in where I lived. And so we had this this period of time in both of our lives where we loved each other. We were doing life together. We were, it was a pause from the craziness of life where we were both investing in ourselves, growing, holding each other accountable. And it was this really beautiful, powerful growth period in both of our lives. And I knew in my heart of hearts that I was meant to get out of here and go do something else. I felt that calling so strong for so long. And I, I remember many times on our walks talking about it. And there was one moment where I looked at him and I said, Randy, there's something out there for me and I got to go get it. And he looked at me and he said, I know, I see it. And it was this moment I'll never forget where I was basically telling him like, I got to go. And he was saying, I know. And he didn't fight it. He didn't argue it. It meant that he and I would not be able to be together. And it wasn't, he, he didn't have ego about it. He has always seen me, my heart, my mission, and wanted to see me go. The truest, most pure love that there is, is to want everything for someone else that they can possibly have, whether that means you get to be with them or not. And that is Randy. Randy is, he's logical and he is methodical um, and his love is incredibly powerfully pure. And the love that he gave me was that way. And so when I left here to go to Miami, the idea was I was going for six months and I was going to come back and didn't know what was going to happen then, but I was going to go spend the winter down there and work and just, you know, got to get out of here. And it wasn't long after I left that it became very apparent to me that I couldn't stay with Randy. Like we couldn't do a long distance relationship. We tried, um, but there was a lot of reasons for it. A, it was really hard for me and distracting for me to pine after and miss my partner. It was like that dynamic did not work for what I was trying to do. Um, And he came down for Thanksgiving. Um, We were still together but I just, I knew in my heart of hearts that it, it just, it couldn't continue. And I couldn't figure out why it broke my heart because Randy is perfect. Randy is everything that everyone could ever want in a person. He really is. But sometimes, you know, that someone is not your person. And I knew he was not my person and I fought it and I argued it. And I kept saying, maybe it's me. I am not the person that I need to be in order to have him in my life. And, and I would bring things like that up and I, and I would think of things like, okay, maybe if this was different, we could be together. And it became apparent that anything that I would say to Randy that I needed, he would do. Randy loved me so completely that if I had said, "Mm, I need you to call me four times a day for seven minutes and I need you to sing me happy birthday. We wish you a Merry Christmas. And then I need you to tap dance and send me a video. He would have done it. He would have done anything. And I, I could tell 
that that was the dynamic, that he was all in and he loved me and he wanted to be with me and he would make me happy. And I knew that he was not my person, but I was having such a hard time admitting it and I didn't want to say it. And I realized that Randy would, the beautiful, perfect, awesome, amazing Randy would change himself if I asked him to. And that would be the biggest tragedy of the whole thing because there's nothing wrong with Randy and there's nothing wrong with me. But my analogy for the Randy Christian situation is Randy is a sophisticated, brand new, perfectly functioning, high tech, amazing Pepsi machine. And there's a whole bunch of buttons on there. And all you have to do is push a button and you get the most amazing, delicious, perfect can of soda you could ever want. Cold, ice cold, perfect temperature, researched to be the perfect temperature, whatever you want. There's Pepsi, there's Mountain Dew, there's Sprite. Everything that you could want out of a soda machine, high tech, perfectly functioning, amazing Pepsi machine. And I was standing in front of that Pepsi machine with a coffee mug, needing hot coffee. And no matter what Randy did, he could never put coffee in my cup because he's a Pepsi machine. And there's nothing wrong with that Pepsi machine. And the fact that I need coffee does not make me a bad person, nor does it mean there's anything wrong with me. It's just when I am thirsty, I need coffee. And he doesn't have coffee. And he would do anything. He'd paint himself red and put a button that said coffee and try to hack the the computer to make that can come out hot and then full of something that tasted like... I mean, he would do anything. And you know what all of that would do? It would ruin the beautiful, perfect machine that he is. It would ruin him. It would cheapen him. It would dull him. It would make him less than what he is if he tried to meet the needs that I had. And that is sad. But that is all that it was. And there are many people that find themselves in this situation and and they don't have the presence of mind to stop and recognize it for what it is. And one person will try to change themselves, try to change themselves. And the other person will let them because they don't have the balls to say, no, I don't want to break your heart. I don't want to walk away. I'm, I love this dynamic so much for all of these nine out of 10 reasons. And I'm just willing to stay here. And I'm willing to just let this fester and get worse and worse and more and more unhealthy than to say the hard thing and do the hard thing. And breaking up with Randy was one of the hardest things I've ever done because The love was so real between both of us, so powerful between both of us. And he is such a magnificent man. And I had no good reason except you're not my person. And ultimately, what it was was I'm standing blocking this Pepsi machine. And somewhere there is a wonderful, amazing woman walking around with a cup of ice with a swirly straw looking for some bubbly, cold Pepsi. And she can't see this perfectly amazing Pepsi machine because I'm blocking it with my coffee cup. I got to get out of the way. I got to get out of the way so that that person that needs exactly what Randy has can find him and he can find her. That, that is what I had to do. And I didn't understand that was really 
what was going on. It's, it's hard because I internalized it. What's wrong with me? Why can't I be happy with this man? If I can't be happy with this man, I cannot be happy with any man because no one is ever going to be this, this, and this, and this. No one's ever going to be this hardworking, loyal, honest, principled, look this good. I mean, Randy is smoking hot. Randy's got an amazing body. Randy works out really hard. Mandy, Randy is like the perfect male specimen and has character. I mean, like, come on. If I can't make it work with someone like Randy, then surely I am a disaster and I'm never going to be happy. That's the message that I wanted to believe. That was what my ego was saying to be like, no, you got to stay in here because if you let this guy go, you are going to be alone forever. And certainly you're never going to meet anybody this good. Instead of saying, I could have done that. But the, but the real answer is this is not my person and it has actually nothing to do with me. There's someone else for him and I'm sitting in her seat and I got to get out of the way. And it sucks and it hurts. But the longer I stay here, no one, no one is being served. My coffee cup is empty. That's sad. And Randy has something to offer that no one is able to have. That is sad. So that's really the essence of the breakup. It's very sad, (laughs) but it's not personal. And I'm so grateful because it took some time. Randy and I have had way too many conversations about our breakup because we both love and care about each other and we wanted to understand and we really needed to process this out. But we've had many conversations about it and the ego has had to take hits and we've had to let our egos die. But he is somebody that I want to keep in my life because he is such a good man. He's not for me. The love between us is not romantic. It's respect and pure love. And to be able to then shift gears, we've had to have many periods of time where we haven't been talking, where we put a lot of space there um, so we could exhale, so we could think about other things, so we could let the heartbreak heal. Um, but we always find a way to come back into conversation and you know we keep each other accountable with our goals. We keep each other motivated with new challenges. He did a bodybuilding show last year and I supported him and encouraged him and went and cheered him on and he cheers me on. Um, and it's a beautiful friendship. And the only way that's been possible is to really, really believe in the idea that it's not personal. I'm not rejecting Randy as a person. I'm just understanding he is not my person. Not because there's anything wrong with him or me. It's because he is Randy and I am Kristen. And those two people cannot live together forever as a couple. And I hate the word failed relationship. The words, that's two words. Because people would say, oh, another failed relationship for Kristen. No, this was not a failed relationship. This was a beautiful, awesome relationship that was not a permanent romantic relationship. And when we can start to look at our interactions and our relationships with people in that way, it empowers us. The story about it is empowering and it, it changes how we look at the future. Like I am looking at the future saying, you know, I might have several meaningful relationships before I die. I might meet one person and that is the person I live with forever. I don't know when that's going to happen or if it's going to happen, but relationships do not have to be all one thing in order for them to be meaningful and impactful, educational, empowering, and life-changing. They just don't. We have to stop looking at relationships with other people, especially of the opposite sex, as a all-in or all-out. You are either my person or you are nothing. That, that energy doesn't serve us. And unfortunately, that's the way it happens. And I know that that works for some people. It's like, if I'm not going to marry you or date you forever, then I never want to speak to you again. That has never worked for me. 
It's never worked for me. It's like, well, you're not going to be my husband, so therefore you're dead to me? What happens to the love that's there? Like you love someone and you say, well, even like my ex-husband, my two ex-husbands, that, that love was real. Love doesn't die. And obviously you can stop feeding and nurturing it. And you can say, all right, that love was romantic. That love meant we lived together and we were going to build a future together. Now that's impossible. So the love, the way that we display love, the way that we live in that love has to change. We have to close off so that love doesn't, you know, rule our life. I can't actively be in love with my ex-husband because we are not together. Now the love I have for him is still there. He's an amazing, awesome person. I have respect for him, but that doesn't mean that he's my person forever. But in our society and in how people behave, it's very much like, that's your ex, you don't speak to him and you don't speak nicely of him. We have to, you know, we have to protect our ego that we lost them or ended or whatever by only focusing on the bad things about them so that we feel valid and we can validate the fact we're not with them. And that is absolute toxicity. I've seen it so many times and I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm explaining to you what has saved my soul and what has kept my soul alive and bright and happy and able to interact with people that I used to be romantically linked with. And that is telling myself the story that is empowering by not believing in the lies that my ego wants to tell me to protect myself. It's hard for me to say, you know what? I walked away from one of the greatest men that I've ever known. I willingly walked away from that. And when people say, oh my gosh, why? It would be easy for me to say all kinds of negative things about Randy in order to justify to other people, like, why? That would be easy to discredit him. And because then I look good. And then they understand, like, oh, well, he was all that, but, you know, he was terrible and we didn't know. No, that is not, that is, that is not, A, not true, and B, not fair. It would feel really good to my ego because I don't like the perception that, like, oh, Kristen, you know, has failed relationship after failed relationship. That's what it looks like. But it's not a failed relationship. It was a conscious decision to say, this is not my person forever, and therefore we're going to restructure our relationship. And he's going to hopefully find someone that is perfect for him, and hopefully I will find someone that's perfect for me for a romantic relationship. But these stories that we tell ourselves, they keep us stuck, and they keep us stuck in the same cycle. You know, I've been going on dates, and I've been on some terrible dates, and if I use those stories of the terrible dates to say, I'm not going to date at all. Every guy is like that. Then I'm going to find that in every guy. Instead of saying, no, I have had relationships with amazing people. So there are amazing men out there. And when I meet people, I'm going to look for evidence of those things that I want to find. I'm going to imagine that every man that wants to take me on a date or that I talk to has some amazing quality and I'm going to find it. And maybe I won't find it. And I'll be like, okay, well, that one is not my person. But to look for and expect greatness out of everyone that we meet in the dating arena is the way that we find greatness. I really believe that. The cynicism, and I've fallen prey to it a lot in the last couple of months when I've tried to date because it can be a horror show. Um, but I don't want it to be that way. I want it to be an experience of experiencing people and seeing what's beautiful about this person. What, what can I learn from this person, even on this one date? I may never see this person again, but this is a human being that I get to interact with. And there's something here for me. And there's something I can give. There's something I can offer. 
And that, A, it feels better. It gives me energy in life. It opens my future up to more possibilities of love, hope, joy, relationship versus becoming a cynical, closed off person who wants to take off, take a woman out on a date that's expecting you to be an asshole. There's a lot of men out there who pick up a woman and she's just like, oh, of course you did this. Oh, of course you did that wrong. Like just just filling out the list of all the things they do wrong. Well, that sounds like fun. But that's what happens when we get cynical. I don't want to do that. I don't want that for myself. And I'm so excited when I think about the love that I've had and knowing that there's that's possible in the future too. And when I imagine the future, I always imagine it amazing. And when I get amazing things in my life, it's always way better than I even imagined. So to look at my past relationships, instead of saying, oh my gosh, they all failed, it's so terrible. To look at them and say, I have had amazing, massive, huge loves in my life. And there's more of that for me. There's more of that for me. Of course there is. Of course there is. And that story brings life. That story brings hope and joy. So that's kind of the story of the Randy breakup. And I I normally wouldn't go into such detail except that A, he gave me permission. And B, I've been getting asked constantly, especially since I'm in Minnesota and I'm staying at Randy's house (laughs) and spending time with Randy. Um, Randy is shipping out today to the UK for the project that he's been working um, to start doing for five years. So very exciting um, for him. And uh, I'm very, very happy for him. So um, that's the story of Randy. Obviously, sometimes you have a breakup and it's painful. Someone really hurts you. They cheat on you. They steal from you. They've got multiple identities. They've done horrible things. So I'm not naive, okay? I know there are breakups that are really painful and people do really terrible things to other people. And I absolutely do not tell anyone, hey, you should keep toxic people in your life. Absolutely not. But what you can do is you can control how much that story affects you. You get to choose. And what happens in a relationship when we are hurt? So say someone cheats on you. You're married to someone, they cheat on you. That's a betrayal. That is, it's painful. There's no doubt about it. And a lot of times that ends to the end, that leads to the end of a relationship, a divorce, a breakup. Um, And, you know, in many cases, very rightly so. And that's pain. And when, when you've been hurt, it's unfortunate and it's terrible, but what we tend to do is we tend to raise a flag to say, I've been hurt. Our ego is like really happy for some reason to say, I've been hurt. I've been hurt. It becomes a part of our identity. We get sympathy, we get attention, um, and this isn't intentional, but it's true. I've seen it in 99% of my coaching clients. I've seen it in my own life a billion times. And um, I recognize it in a lot of my own personal story. And I'm working on rooting out all those flags and tearing them down. This flag of I was hurt. I'm justified to feel this way. I was hurt. And so we carry this flag and it becomes a part of our identity. You know, hey, you know, what's your life story? Well, I was married and then my husband cheated on me. And I got a divorce. And often that's the story. And the story stops there. And then and then there's good things since then. But that one big event often becomes the big the big billboard of this is what happened to me. And then in telling the story of life, it comes back to that. 
I I have so many friends where I know so much about their past relationships, about their exes. I've never met their exes. I have nothing to do with them, but I know so much about them because they talk about them all the time. I have several friends and and I've had to say, I don't want to know your ex. You don't want to live with your ex or talk to your ex. Why do you think I want to know your ex? I don't want to know about this person. This person is not in your life. This person hurt you. Can we, I don't want to hear about it, but we get stuck on it because it's a, it's a narrative that serves us. It says, I have been hurt and therefore I am justified in so many things. When we, when we think, when we think we're justified, when we we're hurt, we're justified to be angry, to be bitter, to protect ourselves, to make assumptions about other people. And it gives us something to say, who are you? Well, I'm someone that's been hurt. And, you know, I, sometimes it's, I've been hurt worse than you. My pain is worse than yours. I've been through more than you have. And it's a flag we wave. It becomes our identity. And it gets attention. And it becomes um, a narrative that other people who have the same flag, they resonate with. Oh, now you can sit around in a group and talk about all the ways that you've been hurt and that your relationships has, have failed. I can't tell you how many girls' nights I've gone to. And it's just a, a bitch fest about failed marriages, you know, failed relationships, how terrible this one guy is. And it's like, well, this is fun. And then it follows up with like, yeah, guys suck. I can't meet someone. Well, I don't know. I can't think of one man I would bring to this table and listen to all this garbage because this is toxic. This is all negative. And and now every man that you look at is going to have to overcome all these things that you, not only the things you've been through, but now all the stories you just heard about all the other men that have had, you know, bad experiences with your friends, which, you know, by the way, you hear one side. I have friends when I hear about what their husband did. I Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I, I might have done worse if I was married to you, if that's how you were behaving. So I'm not sitting here in a place of judgment. I'm sitting here in a place of look inside. What is the story you're telling yourself? What are the words that are coming about out of your mouth about breakups, about past relationships? Because what you say and what you think is energy. It's either energy being taken from you or energy being given to you. And when you think about the most loving person in your life and the most beautiful experiences of your life, you actually notice how my tone changed because I'm thinking about the most loving relationships in my life and it can't help but smile. I can't help but feel light. And then when I think about the most painful relationship in my life, my tone changes, my face changes, my body language changes. Now I've got different energy. I've got anger. I've got frustration. I've got, I've got this, this angry streak that's going through me and it's making my energy change. No one wants to be around an angry, bitter person. They want to be around the person that's full of life and love and joy and energy. And we get to choose no matter how hard someone has made your life, no matter how much they have hurt you, you still get to choose. And I get to say that because I was married to someone who locked me up, who abused me, who broke a window with my head, who didn't let me go out to dinner with my friends, who didn't let me go to my own baby shower, who told me I was stupid, that I was nothing, that I was never going to be anything, that he would ruin my life, that he would steal my child, bankrupt me, and I'd be nothing without him. And do you know what he did? He stole my child. He bankrupted me. <laughs> and he won. He did everything he promised that he'd do. How many of you heard... How many of you who know me in my daily life hear that story? You don't. I very rarely talk about it. Why? Because I don't want to give that man and that experience any more of my future. I decided, I decided that he had enough and he wasn't going to get any more of my joy, any more of my energy. 
And it's not always easy. And I have had many, many days where I've fallen back into it and had to start all the way over. But I will not give any more of my future to people who have stolen from me. That man stole from me. He stole joy. He stole life. He stole happiness. And now I get to choose. I can give him more power over the rest of my life or not. Every person that has hurt you, when you talk about them, when you think about them, you are giving them your time, your life. They took from you and now you're choosing to give it to them. And guess what? They don't even know. They don't care. My ex-husband doesn't know if I think about him, if I think about him nicely or meanly. Doesn't He's moved on. I don't, I don't have anything to do with his life. But if I sit in this room in Minnesota and I talk about how horrible he is, I'm giving him my February 13th of 2022. He doesn't get this day. This is my day. This is my day. He doesn't get it. So people can steal things from you or you can give them to them. I'm not giving them anymore. And when I spend time with my friends and they spend our coffee date or our shopping trip talking about the things their ex did, it's like, this is great. You just gave this experience with your girlfriend, me. You just gave this to that person that you say is so terrible. Why did you give him our time? You brought him into this coffee shop. He is sitting here and I'm having to listen to and experience the worst of this person. Why? Why? Why is that man sitting here? You hate him or he hurt you, but you brought him and you sat him down at this chair next to me, your friend, and now I am experiencing the toxicity that this person brought into your life. Why? How does this serve you? It certainly doesn't serve me. And you know what I'm going to do as a friend? I'm going to say, I don't want to be here. Now his toxicity is sitting at the table where you are. And now I don't necessarily want to be where you are because you bring him with you. You bring this terrible person that you hate, that you just described to me, and he's sitting right here with me. Bye. See ya. (laughs) I went on a date. When I first moved to Miami, I went on a date with someone and we went for a walk. And the entire walk, I heard about all of their ex-wives and all of the terrible things they did. So I got to go on a walk with this guy's four ex-wives and girlfriends. Super fun. Think about that next time you bring someone up in conversation. You are bringing that person to the table, to the walk, to the party. Leave them the hell where they are in your past. Don't give them any of your present or any of your future. That is where we get the choice. And it's intentional. Put your flag down. You've been hurt? Awesome. So is everyone else. What is your day today? What is your life today? What's going on today? Who loves you now? Who do you love? What makes you smile? What makes you tick? What are you working on? How are you growing? What is exciting about your future? Let's talk about that. Let's focus on that. That is the power that we have in our minds. When we, when we think about breakups, when we think about ex-relationships, no matter how bad that they were, you get to choose your now and your future. I'm hopping off my soapbox now. I've been wanting to say all of that for a really long time. <laughs> I don't like to have this podcast where I'm yelling at you. I feel like I just got done yelling at you. But it's it's out of a place of of love because I want the people in my life and I want you to look forward into your future. And if there's bad stuff behind you, leave it behind you. When you think about what's possible for you in relationship or in your life, your career, your living situation, the sky is the limit. And if you're in a relationship now where you know this is not the person for you, I encourage you to ask yourself why you won't have that difficult conversation. What are you afraid of? Because you're sitting in someone else's seat. You're blocking their view of the Pepsi machine if you have the coffee cup. 
and you can't go find the coffee machine that has your perfect extra hot almond milk latte with sugar-free vanilla. If you are standing in front of a Pepsi machine, there could be a perfectly amazing functioning coffee machine behind me, and I wouldn't see it if I was standing with my coffee mug in front of a Pepsi machine, wishing and demanding that it could give me what I want. What I want might be right behind me or right under my nose or right around the corner, but I'm not going to find it if I'm standing in the wrong place, blocking someone else, sitting in someone else's seat. The end. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I'm so excited you're here. If you want to interact with me, go ahead and send me an email, Kristen at kristensmithonline.com. Follow me on Instagram, The Kristen Experience, and make sure you share this podcast with a friend. That's all I have for you today. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next time here on Destination Begin.